Hello, I'm Will Sampson. Welcome to the Woodworking Network Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Woodworking Network Podcast. Join us as we explore the business of woodworking, big and small, and what it takes to succeed. I'm Will Sampson. This episode is sponsored by the Executive Briefing Conference. Today, we'll resume our conversation with Kathy and Tony Everett, owners of Millwork on 31st in Charlotte, North Carolina. But first, I want to talk about what energizes your business. Every business has a life cycle related to the owner's energy. When the owner first launches the business, he or she likely has tremendous energy and drive to tackle all of the typical startup challenges. In fact, new owners hardly have time to notice how much energy they put into their baby, the new enterprise, because every day brings new challenges and crises that must be dealt with to keep the company afloat. After some period of time, the business should stabilize. Less of the daily challenges will be crises, and more will present themselves as opportunities. Or maybe the maturing owner just learns more and develops the vision to see it that way. Instead of viewing everything as a hurdle to overcome, the owner directs energy into exploring new ways to build the business, new ways to turn what once were hurdles into stepping stones. As more time passes, though, an owner's energy can wane and throw the business into a cycle of complacency. It's too easy to fall into a rut, just coasting from one project to the next, without really advancing the company or what it does, without building staff skills and capabilities, without exploring new markets. This is a dangerous time for a business. With already lower energy, the owner might not have what it takes to rise to a new challenge or capitalize on a potential profitable opportunity. So how do you get that energy back? There's no magic elixir, and frankly, some business owners will never recapture the energy and drive that got them started in the first place. They'll wind down their activities and wind down the business. Likely, they won't even invest energy in a solid exit strategy or a search for someone to take over the business. What they spent so much energy building up will wind up on the auction block as bargains for bidders. But not always. I once had a business opportunity at a small firm that was run by a woman in her 60s. She had created the business from nothing, but she was tired and thinking about turning it over to her son. He and I worked well together, and I, it looked like we could run the thing on our own. The owner decided to take a lengthy train trip across the country, leaving us in charge as a dry run. Everyone agreed the company ran just fine while she was gone. But a funny thing happened. Being away from the business for so long reminded the owner how much she loved it. Instead of speeding her retirement, it energized her to jump right back in. I soon moved on because I didn't see much of an immediate future for me, but I admired her for recovering the energy to drive her business again. What powers the energy you have to run your business? Before we get back to our talk with Kathy and Tony Everett, 
Let's pause for a word from our sponsor. EBC is a superior opportunity to learn, be inspired, and have face-to-face -face interchanges with top leaders in the woodworking industry. The 2021 EBC will be held September 8th through 10th at the spectacular Broadmoor in Colorado Springs. In addition to top speakers and presentations, there will also will be tours of Concepts and Millwork and the Mill Woodworking Training Facility. It's an unparalleled opportunity to obtain business intelligence to improve your enterprise while networking with the industry's brightest stars. You can learn more at executivebriefingconference.com. Now let's get back to Kathy and Tony Everett and how they found the energy to start a new chapter in their lives running a successful architectural millwork firm. So tell me how the, the foot works through this, uh, uh, the CNC's and the wind store. How, how is that uh, working in the plant? Uh, absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, it's changing uh, the expectations because the equipment um, forces you to make better piece parts. It forces you to standardize. It forces you to look at your bill of materials. Um, it, it it's it's taken a step and an evolution to where you see your products where you can do really good stuff. And, and Millwork on 31st has always been known for its quality and its you know, aim for perfection of product. But when you can make more good products in the same amount of time, obviously it gives a pride to the team and a, proud, uh, a lot of pride to the employee base. Not to mention the opportunity value that you have of being able to sell more work into that uh, situation. If you're you're doing the same work in less time, then then you can take on more work. Right, and that's that's what we look at. We look at scalability. All our decisions are based on scalability, and it, that's a good benchmark to use, and it's been successful. Kathy's absolutely right. Um, you know, she is the my best counsel in the world. And um, we have little mini, you know, coming off a, a career where I spent a lot of time in the boardroom with a lot of board, direct, board of directors. Uh, it's refreshing to have a, a company where there's only two board members and I get to have dinner with her every night. <laughs> you know, so we reflect and, and the, the, fun, the, the best part about the business is um, I thought the boardroom was tough. You ought to hear the grill, the grilling. Um, it, it's good, hard questions, uh, good business questions. And we bounce them back off of one another uh, continuously. And, and Kathy is absolutely correct in the part of scalability. Uh, as we continue to scale this company, uh, it will continue to grow. Um, it, it is all due to the people learning a different way of doing stuff. We're bringing a whole different way right now to the to the woodworking industry has been competing the automotive industry heavy truck bus industry been competing against china uh, mexico and other foreign um, competitors for well over 30 years and you measure the cost of success in fractions of pennies for a piece part um, so bringing that costing structure and that methodology to the woodworking industry it's going to 
also help this industry grow and mature and be competitive well into the future. It's a whole nother phase. And that's the exciting part of what we see right now is we are kind of a new breed coming in this industry. And it's just, it's really kind of cool to see. And I think people around us, um, the companies like BSA and other uh, automation companies, uh, our customer base, uh, we love bringing people through the plant. Our best sales tool is, is our facilities, are our facilities. Um, when you see um, a good orchestra playing or a good band playing, you can hear the music and it feel the music. And when you walk through the plant, you can almost hear the music, so to speak. You can hear productivity. You can hear things moving. And as an old, as an old uh, factory guy, um, you just smell the plant. You can feel the vibration and you know you're making money and you know you're making progress. Well, I think a lot of the old timers in the woodworking industry that that uh, sometimes uh, uh, great against uh, some of these automation changes just don't realize what the potential is there. And and it's not just a case of, of making things faster and cheaper. We're actually making things better because we're using more precise procedures. Uh, you mentioned a little earlier about having to, to fine tune your your part manufacturing process to make sure that everything was accurate so that you could get the maximum level out of the automation. Are you, you finding, uh, you know, another thing with lean is eliminating waste from uh, defective parts. Does all this automation give you a, a much lower rate of defective parts? Absolutely. Um, you know, we, uh, no one ever likes sharing numbers, but I can sit there and say the first year we bought the business, we tracked over a half million dollars in waste, just off the quick, just off the cuff. This is not detailed review. Um, that half million dollars of waste was almost eliminated last year. Um, that's right to it. That allows us to hire more people, better people. Um, you know, uh, when I say, and not the word more better, skilled. more skilled, uh, is the right ter terminology there. Um, it, it elimination of waste is elimination of frustration. Um, because when you make something and you waste something and you have to redo it, it's frustrating to employees. It's frustrating to the, um, customers and it's frustrating to the ownership, you know, so you're absolutely correct. Well, this is not about making products faster as much as it is making products better. This will never replace the one piece furniture woodworker. What this will do though, can bring wood and the beauty of wood into more commercial buildings throughout you know, the country. And that is so neat now. Um, I, as a rookie to this industry, I find myself totally, totally drawn. Every time I walk into a restaurant, every time I walk into a bank lobby, Every time I walk into just a car dealership or a medical facility, I'm sitting in a dentist chair the other day going, we could have made those. Yep, yep I like that. I can see that one coming off the router. <laughs> you know, so it's just, 
I had to get my mind out of that dentist chair. So I was looking at the dentist cabinets. <laughs> yeah, I, last time I looked at a, a medical cabinet in an office, the thing I noticed was that nobody had lined all the doors. That <laughs> 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 They were all crooked. <laughs> it's neat. And, you know, one of the things, um, a funny story is uh, we just got a gig on a job because one of the things we've been able to do since we dropped our cost is we upscale our standard offerings. And some of the uh, trimming that we do is now our standard, which is the upscale. And the inspector wrote the job up because we didn't have the plain white stuff or the white edge banding on it. And it was like, we've upscaled you at no extra charge. And uh, well, the, my my thing I gotta have the I've gotta have the white I want the cheap stuff, and we're sitting there scratching our head. But okay, customer rules. Um, but we are trying to offer more options, more product at the same cost as what you get when you get the lower end stuff at a higher quality. Um, you know the neat stuff that's come out of this, and every assembler has their own way. And when you standardize this assembly methodology, uh, not only do you make your product more consistent, that it doesn't matter who builds it in your facility, it's gonna be the same. It allows you to uh, scale economy to screws, hardware, consistent hinges, you know, everything. Then you start elimination of all these little hundreds of part numbers in the system and you try to you know cut your cut your raw materials cut your raw material options in half and get something that you can manage so it's all neat it's definitely one of the things that i i think we have to emphasize here um for folks that aren't familiar with your operation and the kind of work you do is you know that we're talking about automation and standardization but we're talking about it in the context of an incredibly custom product you guys are, are doing, you know, bespoke projects, everyone's different. It's not like you're doing cookie cutter operations. And you can still do this kind of automation and bring in things like the, the wind store uh, and all. Now, are you, are you running like rainbow stacks and things, wind store, or how are you using that? I'm sorry, I didn't. Are you running, you know, rainbow stacks? Some, some, Companies that are really automated, you know, have the the stacks and material that the wind store is is you know processing for the uh, the rovers uh, for the routers to be not even you know standardized, but but the the wind store knows that okay this is you know a, a black piece of melamine and the next sheet down is white and it can sort all of that out. Absolutely. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that uh, labor was our number one expense. Any any wood company's number one expense. Number two is going to be your floor space, uh, brick and mortar. And so automation allows you to where older companies or mom pop companies have racks or stacking stuff up manually that you got to block and tackle to move around, get one sheet out. You have the full ability with Windstore to, as you would use, and I'm sorry, I didn't recognize the term rainbow stack, uh, but to stack multiple colors uh, in a location uh, to full height of that storage location. 
this this for not having in between it, you know, the four by fours or the three by three separating the pallets, and that's wasted space. Um, on even though we run a true true JIT shop, we will have multiple orders and uh, running through simultaneously. And at any given time, there can be 50 to 75 orders running through the facility, uh, all the way from a thousand dollar order to a million dollar order. So it is, a, uh, I like the term high speed, high volume job shop. And that is the cool part. And I guess coming from the industry that Kathy and I come from, we made parts and we made millions of the same bracket. We made tens of thousands of the same school bus seat. Uh, it was repetitive every day. And the neatest thing about this is we set up the front end of our business that we're able to make an individual custom order through the automation efforts. And that's high speed, high volume, low volume job shop. And that's the cool part was every day is different. Yeah, that's I think the thing that a lot of the, the non-automated shops just don't understand is that the, you can be just as custom as the most custom shop there is, but you just have these tools and, you know, you don't have to worry about uh, health and safety issues of guys schlepping, uh, you know, 80 or 100 pound sheets of material because uh, the robots are doing it for you and uh, they're still laying it on there in the right order and getting the stuff to done is, you know, like a batch size one situation. Yep. And I think um, you look at that, you see that, you see um, uh, workers in their 50s, 60s, and early 70s able to still continue on their career uh, where we had the old Rover and a gentleman was in his mid fifties and he was, you know, uh, slumping out a hundred sheets of, uh, melamine a day and manually pushing on to an old Rover. You knew his days on that job were numbered and he will be, you know, that position now can well run, you know, as for long as they want more or less. And, it's neat to see that because it's taking and giving opportunity to people that want to continue working in an industry that's been pretty hard on bodies. And let's face it, um, I can see it as a, as a guy that used to run heavy metal shops. So I was, uh, knew the guys that ran brake presses was the ones missing the tips of their fingers. Um, <laughs> now I've gotten to see the, some of the woodworking guys and, you know, the bad backs, the, uh, from lifting and all the lifting, uh, injuries that you see, uh, we have gone over two years without, a, uh, an accident. We're going to knock on wood, uh, in our facilities, uh, because focus on safety is first and foremost, and focus on the human body and taking care of it is right there and we are everything that we're doing with these automation projects are aimed not only on becoming leaner but also aimed at increasing the quality of life uh, for our employees and uh, again Kath's input is we don't you know when it comes to something with safety or it comes to something that can better our employees lives uh, it's all about employee retention employee morale and 
we see that as investors and we invest in that. We invest in employees, we invest in employee morale. Well, that's a great uh, business attitude. And, and I hope that uh, uh, our audience takes uh, some of this advice to heart because <laughs> they certainly could use it in, in the industry. Uh, it's, it's really great. Well, I think I'm going to uh, uh, close off this podcast for today. Um, but I really appreciate you guys uh, uh, talking to us. And we may uh, uh, revisit uh, your operation sooner. I certainly can't wait till uh, uh, the COVID situation is under control and I can come down and, and see your place in person. Uh, I think it would be great to see. That would be great. You're welcome to come. We look forward to the, that opportunity. And as Tony mentioned, that is our biggest sales tool. Having the, the, the plant, the people, just the whole environment that really speaks to who we are and what we're trying to do. You know, Will, and I guess in closing, we one of the questions that you um, asked us earlier was, how did we get into this industry? And after having a successful career at where we were, um, you know, do what you love, put the passion in it and the money will follow, you know, as investors. Now we saw that as we were trying to wind down our corporate careers and we wanted to do something, it was about pay it back to, you know, where we came from, you know, coming up through the factories and, you know, working our way through that corporate ladder and becoming owners of a company. And then now here changing industries and being ownership in a different industry. It, it is all about passion and having fun in life. Life is so short. Grab it, run with it, do the best with it, share it with others, and then teach what you got. Great. I really appreciate you guys coming on the podcast today. That's it for today. If you are looking for more of our podcasts, you can find all of them at woodworkingnetwork.com slash podcasts and in popular podcast channels. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks again to today's sponsor, the Executive Briefing Conference. If you have a comment or topic you'd like us to explore, contact me at will.sampson at woodworkingnetwork.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>